never remain free if they are not willing, if need be, to fight for their vital interests. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Praise Yahweh and pass the ammunition. Restoration Hour with Pastor Eli James. Well, it's nice when I play those sound bites from Ronald Reagan. They're even truer today than they were when he said them. <laughs> okay, because we are living in a time of absolute deceit. And patriots need to wake up faster than, than a slower in realizing that our country is being stolen from us by the international cabal of Talmudic Jews. We're going to be talking about these Talmudic Jews with our guest tonight, John from Indiana. How are you doing, John? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Good, good. Well, I haven't got COVID, and I don't plan on getting it because I'm not going to get vaxxed, <laughs> right? So, yeah, me neither. Yeah, right. We're living in times where they want to vax us to destroy our DNA. It reminds me of the passage where Jesus, Yahshua, says that uh, it shall be as in the days of Noah, that is just before his return, where they were hybridizing our uh, our ancestors but they failed to get Noah and his family, all eight members of them, <laughs> hybridized. And uh, so they got on the ark and, and saved our species, is basically what they did there. Now we're going to have to try to save our species yet again. And uh, because that's what this is all about. The, the Bill Gates wants to uh, rewrite our DNA, so to, to destroy our DNA. That's what we're facing, folks. Yeah. So there's all kinds of... Uh, News floating around about uh, Trump being in um, in Abilene, Texas, uh, talking to the to the generals there, and uh, but uh, there's so much evidence of voter fraud in this election that it's it's just overwhelming, uh, and we've done many shows on this already, so we're not going to talk about that tonight. But uh, people are posting stuff that stuff already in the chat room, so. Uh, I just want to quickly announce that uh, one of the real sad stories behind the, the lockdown, even for young men who haven't gotten COVID-19, is here in Illinois in 2020, we've had 44 suicides of young student athletes. I'm, I'm positive virtually all of them are white because they just you know feel disenfranchised. The, the world hates them. And I'm sure that's the reason why they're committing suicide. So we have to counter that with every uh, every avenue to available to us, especially speaking the truth about the Dems and the Swamp and the Jew banksters that are behind all of this. Well, what, what would you call it? It's an outrage, this outrage called the lockdown and COVID-19. So, uh, you know, this is the main reason why we are on the air is to... Uh, open people's eyes about who's behind all of these outrages. So so tonight, uh, John is going to tell us about what he calls OBRI, the research he's worked on, uh, done, done on uh, Paleo-Hebrew. And uh, we were just before the show, we were discussing a chart from uh, actually the Jerusalem Post. 
and which I know you told me you have this chart, and it's actually available in several Jewish encyclopedias, about the uh, original Paleo-Hebrew alphabet, and that these uh, original Paleo-Hebrew letters have symbolic meanings behind them. For example, Aleph, and of course, those of you who aren't familiar, Aleph, Bet are the first two letters. that That's where we get our word alphabet in English from, right? Aleph, Bet. And, um, and there's only 22 letters in Hebrew, Paleo-Hebrew, but there's also these squiggles, these jots and tittles that uh, count as letters as well, and which, they, which the rabbis have invented new ones that change the meanings of some of these words. So just really quickly, uh, the Aleph is a, the head of a bull, Bet looks it looks more like a uh, a spiral a squared off spiral, so uh, and then these become uh, the Paleo Hebrew letters. And my belief, John, is that all of the Nordic runes and most of the ancient alphabets uh, they actually simply copied the Paleo Hebrew alphabet and you know copy them badly. <laughs> Mm-hmm. wherever they go, and uh, they, they have become a language of their own in Nordic languages and other places around the world. So what's your opinion on that? Yeah, quite possible. Um, you know, well, years ago, before I even started a, a study on language, um, I wasn't an identitarian, okay. um, and I didn't know what I was. But and it was actually language that brought me to identitarianism, um, connecting what I was seeing as more organic uh, Hebrew, which I've I've come to name Obery. Okay, and, and I'll get to to that and and the the phonetics to that. But um, <clears throat> I saw so many connections between um, Hebrew when you you can strip away the influences in the the block letter, okay, and uh, even the name, um, and definitely the the nikudot or the dots and dashes, and you look at a even a cross section of our Western and Northern European languages today, and see all of the similarities um, between them. And um, one of the most important things, of course, is the vowels. That um, Paleo Hebrew or Obri actually has vowels. They match up to our vowels today, our Germanic English vowels today. Most of the consonants match up as well. There's actually only a few that that aren't. Uh, exact matches, and we still have the phonetic vocalizations for them. Um, they're just not in our alphabet, but, you know, then again, we haven't been in charge of uh, sculpting our alphabet for, for a while now. It's, it's right. been other people. Yeah. Uh, Funny how that so, happens. Yes. We don't control our own <laughs> society, do we? <laughs> right. It, it wouldn't seem so, no. no. I hope not. I hope not. <laughs> But that, yeah, that's uh, well. The, the, there's a, par- a group of parasites that are changing our culture, and if they've, they've changed yes. our Hebrew alphabet, our Hebrew yes. alphabet. Oh, back to you. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Absolutely, I agree. Um, so you know, there's a there's a lot of stories that they've um, they've used over the years that are very hard to prove. I don't agree with. Uh, um, and everybody might have different opinions, and 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 that's the thing. I don't I don't believe that the opinions that I have are are absolutely so. I think that we're we're at a, a 
a phase where a lot of us have uh, very strong opinions because we don't know. We, we're, we're, we're striving towards a greater perfection. Um, so many things I say, if people disagree, I am very open to, uh, to examining all, all the information available um, and keeping an open mind. But one thing, I, I don't believe that Ezra had anything to do with changing the text whatsoever. I think in, in his day, he would be more of a preservative that's right. Of the text. You look yeah. look how strong uh, he was uh, in keeping the law. Um, oh, absolutely. He yes. and Nehemiah both. Mm-hmm. So I don't believe their story when they say that, that Ezra changed the text, changed the look of the text. I really don't believe he would have done that. They don't have proof, proof of that. This is uh, simply more of a tradition uh, than anything else. Yeah, a Jewish tradition, as, right. Exactly. <laughs> yes, as, as as well as the the idea that these, uh, these, these Masoretes were passing down to us because they cared so much about us. They were passing down to us the uh, the proper vocalizations, and of course, this idea of um, their vocalizations that they impose on the text. The, the their root is the same root as their Talmud. Um, this is right. the kind of thing where Moses was given these, or or you know somebody was given these uh, by special assembly. Again, Again, something that has no proof in, in reality, but we're expected to trust them because, you know, most people still, unfortunately, believe them to be the chosen. Right. Um, <laughs> well, okay, so, yeah, you, so you would uh, frown on the idea that their oral tradition has any legitimacy as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, please continue. Yeah. So, uh, what happened was... Um, I, I can't say it was uh, extremely scientific, although there was a great deal of research involved. Um, I did find that uh, they actually publish and admit in their resources, Encyclopedia Judaica and the Jewish Encyclopedia, not only do they have various charts of um, the, the way that the, the glyph or the character once looked, um, but they, you know they admit... The, the fact that, first off, there, there was no standardization among the, the Masoretes. Um, in fact, they, they never even came to a consensus among the, the various rabbis creating Masoretic texts or, or texts that would have... Uh, um, they would not only use those, those dots and dashes, which I think were, sometimes I think were actually um, <clears throat> either self-code or code one between the other, and I still have figured out mm-hmm. what that was for, but also a lot of notes. Um, right. And they would, they would incorporate a lot of this information. Um, they, uh, they actually, I believe they added parts of speech. Um, our, our languages today and the way they function today <clears throat> and the parts of speech that uh, we have today, I think they're very similar to, to what they did with the, the original text. Um, surprisingly enough, um, you know, language has, I suppose you, you could say it, it's evolved, uh, um, not in a good way necessarily, but <laughs> right. we can see <clears throat> that, that, excuse me, that uh, grammar um, has changed uh, from, you know, older Latin and, and Greek. And, and as we have moved forward, you know, even as recently as uh, 100 years ago, um, a lot of languages were much different. You know, German was was much different even before World War II, and a lot of things have changed since then. Hmm. Okay. Um, but 
you know, there there has been this um, a very inorganic development of of text and language. Um, and okay, by inorganic, what do you mean by by outsiders imposing their, their rules of grammar upon us, or uh, you know, or natural grammar changes by an indigenous culture? Is is that kind of what you mm-hmm. mean? Well, um, yeah, I, I actually believe that. Um, first off, uh, what we know today as as Hebrew has been radically changed, um, okay. and and it's been made to seem more and more Eastern. Um, the funny thing is, so uh, th- this was the other thing is, um, I I went and found as many artifacts as I possibly could, ones that were the most organic uh, artifacts. And um, the thing is about uh, when you get into older and older um, Hebrew, Paleo-Hebrew, um, not only does the character itself change, and uh, in some ways it's quite dramatic. You know, a lot of the, the Jewish characters today look very, very, uh, not much like even the older ones. A lot of people can see this just in the Dead Sea Scrolls, if they look at the Great Eye. Isaiah scroll or a number of those fragments. There's there's an obvious huge difference between um, yeah. those characters in in today's block text. Now, are those um, Paleo Hebrew like the ones that we just just discussed? The original, like Aleph being like a bull's head, and Bet looking there, like sometimes, a, sometimes. Okay, yeah, sometimes, yeah, sometimes. Okay. So, it, it, there's um, there's that, and uh, I have found some examples of of that. Um, they're not as frequent. To, to to be honest with you, the one that I found the most frequently is is the character that's a little bit more like uh, the Dead Sea Scroll, or actually um, not that different than say the Lost Luna Stone for anybody who's familiar with that. Yeah. Um, and um, it its orientation it was the other thing that struck me is you could you could find it oriented. Left to right or right to left. Oh, okay. And I thought, Both. Well, that, that's interesting. Okay. All right. Because we, uh, um, today, and as far as I know, we Israelites have, have spoken a language and read and, and wrote a language that's oriented from left to right as a rule. And, and it just wouldn't surprise me if to, to make the text seem as unwestern as possible, if even that orientation shift was imposed upon upon the text as a right to left shift mm-hmm. um, okay and, and you know given the the mindset in uh, in rabbinic hebrew and their um their great hatred uh of, of us and in our god um this, this certainly wouldn't be a surprise if this was just another condition imposed to, upon the text by them right okay all right so well for example um the the name Yahweh has been under dispute for, for centuries, actually. Well, how is it pronounced? How is it spelled? Uh, blah blah blah. But I think a good source would be the Isaiah Scroll of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, not too many people have access to that, but, the, but there's a lot of how should I put remnant of Hebrew Paleo Hebrew script <clears throat> from in, from the Middle East. And uh, mm-hmm. in the in the form of uh, writings on coins and signets, etc., etc., short prayers yeah. that st- still survive. 
So you can mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of Paleo Hebrew out there, but as you say, it may have evolved into slightly different shapes from the original alphabet that uh, you know people talk about that alphabet where where you have yeah. the, the the bull's head and the, those original and how do we know that those are the original symbols of letters where you know how, how right. we, we know that right so but this is kind right. of the stuff that you've been researching and so yeah. and, and I asked Pastor Steve uh, yeah he's he's in a nursing home right now because he had a stroke but he I asked him well given all of this radical transformation from the Paleo Hebrew to the Masoretic, which is the source of uh, the King James Old Testament, isn't there anything better than that? And he said, no, there isn't. Not really. Uh, But you have to take the Dead Sea Scrolls into consideration. But he said that you you can pretty much determine what they've tampered with (laughs) and what they haven't tampered with. The more familiar you get with uh, the Hebrew that's exact. So what's your opinion on that? Yes. I think he's. I think he's absolutely correct. Yeah. Um, the, you know, what's nice is this. Um, uh, I think we were, for one thing, we were built to, to just absolutely savor um, a mystery. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a lot of us we have this tendency to uh, to just put everything into it. The ones of us that are more and more built for that sort of thing. But I think most of us are. Uh, we live towards that kind of thing and I think our, our God and um, I, I actually you'll find this with most of the uh, the words that I pronounce Obri words I do pronounce them a little bit different than Hebrew I don't want to throw anybody off if I okay. pronounce uh, the, the name of, of God I'll say Yahweh instead of Yahweh not okay. a big difference and mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm really not too uh, too picky because we're all again I think we're all at d- different phases of learning different things um, I, you know, I still have friends that uh, refer to Jesus or Jehovah. <laughs> oh, what's wrong with them? So, <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, right. But yeah, I, I, I agree very much with what he said. We can see um, a lot of times in various texts because there is there's a lot of texts we still have. Thankfully, we still do have a number of uh, Hebrew texts. Um, most of them tend to have the the Nicodot imp- Posed upon them, but there are are many that actually don't. There okay. are a number of them that were written with targums, and there's right. ones that are not. Um, the various texts are in various schools, so a certain scribe they they say either that scribe or that school of being that style, the style of the character, maybe the style of mistakes made. Yes, but, but um, we can. I don't. You know, I've said many times in the presentations I've. Or any writings that I've done, I'm not trying to blackpill Christians. I'm uh, identitarians mm-hmm. in, in what I say about the language. If if I present theoretically some of the problems with it, because I I know that with some of this stuff, uh, it really does require that you get to certain levels of understanding to understand that that all hope is not lost in understanding these things. It's it's just simply that. that um, there is a lot of room for discussion. There, there's a lot of room f- for um, the scientific method on the text. Oh yeah, to see yeah. what's available and what we can understand about it, and um, does it make sense? The great thing about um, Obery or Hebrew is that um, the the gr- grammar 
and the syntax is very much like our own today. It's okay. not that much different. And um, it's a language that uh, it's not it's not rigid. It's 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 a very expressive, absolutely expressive language. Um, just the the simple verb ba that most people will recognize this if they see the word either come go, go into um, any sort of verb like that. Okay. Ba alone has an enormous amount of forms that it takes, and I, I don't know that I've tracked every single one of them um, because literally I have to type um, I have to type them in and go searching for them because it could possibly appear being listed as another word because right. that's one of the interesting things is is if you find uh, let's say you find a combination of uh, glyphs and I, I call them glyphs right. um, that's fair. if you find yeah. a combination of glyphs they could be one thing or another um, if uh, let me see if I can give you a good example would be something um, like uh, the three glyphs and uh, I guess in uh, Hebrew uh, Masoretic Hebrew they would be called uh, Kaf uh, Lamed and Dalit or okay. I, I simply call them pretty much by their their uh, their uh, their recent names or or sometimes the way that that the Germans pronounce letters instead of saying A B C They'll say ah, be, and se. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, and so German is a, a, a lot. There's a lot of Hebrew in German, and they they, they have is. they preserve that. It's a ch ah, to liber, <laughs> which English has mm -hmm. to spend. Yeah, we don't like to spit on each other as much as the Germans do. <laughs> but but you said uh, you you said a word Nicky don't, or if I understand you correctly, and that's a reference to the jots and tittles that yeah. uh, occur. Is that correct? Yes. Is that what yes. it is? Okay. Yeah. All right. And so my understanding from uh, watching your video on, on this point that that the Masoretes have uh, changed the meanings by by maybe even creating new jots and tittles and putting yeah. the jots and tittles in places in words where they don't belong. That they yeah. that's how. They, okay. Is that, is that true? Is that what I just said true? Yes. They, okay. They've, they've not only changed the phonetic character, um, but oftentimes they change the meaning and uh, certainly the part of speech. Um, okay. I, I did an impromptu, and I don't even remember what video, some time ago. I did a, just a quick impromptu word study on a word that consists of uh, three glyphs, O, R, and B. I'm going to call them O, R, and B. It would be the I-N, the, uh, the resh, and the bet. And it was, um, they pronounce it in a lot of different ways that you might hear, uh, uh, if you had to pronounce it in the Masoretic, you might have to pronounce it O-Rib, you might have to pronounce it A-Rib, uh, you might have to pronounce it A-Rib, uh, because okay. they're dictating with those dots and dashes how you have to pronounce it. For one thing, they're also dictating what part of speech and what it actually is. Okay. It could, it could be a raven, it could be a willow by the brook, it could be the mixed multitude that, oh, wow. that uh, accompanied Israel in the Exodus. Um, but here's the thing, if, uh, if, if, Hebrew, if Hebrew has meaning and the glyphs have meaning, and this is part of what is theoretical obri, is that these glyphs have meaning. Now, sure. I know that the, the work of, of guys like 
Jeff Benner, they would um, they're applying a very similar uh, meaning to what they believe the images are showing in Paleo Hebrew. Right. Um, I don't always do the same thing um, because I, I do happen to believe that language uh, or the way that we think we we don't really think in, in sentences, uh, which makes sometimes it very difficult for us to communicate because we don't don't actually think in sentences. We think in concepts. Okay. And I believe that what we're seeing in the uh, the glyphs are more concepts than actually a concrete uh, uh, idea. And what it often takes is a second concept to make it more concrete. You Uh can have a concept in, say, what I call the Y, or they would call the Yod. You can have a concept in that of of action, something active. You you could have the concept in the the Dalit, or D, Mm -hmm. of, of something direct, giving something direction or piercing. But they're both concepts until you put the two together and you get yad, being hand or influence or power. Okay, yeah. So So, this is is the way I think it was in the first place was more conceptual. Well, yeah, it certainly was. Uh, But, uh, you know, so this brings about how in the world did phonemes come about? And uh, I I believe that, that the Hebrews, our ancestors... Uh, developed these phonemes as opposed to glyphs which symbolize animals and possibly actions as well. But there was a a shift from uh, glyphs symbolizing objects and actions, which I think uh, the the Chinese letter system is primarily like that. But how, and from your study, how did we have that shift from glyphs representing animals and uh, and concepts to phonemes representing sounds that certain sounds become the represent these actions and and, and animals? You get what, what you know I'm what's asking. So strange. Go ahead. Yeah. Go. What what is really strange about that? I don't know. Um, I don't know how much our language was was influenced by whatever countries that we were thrust into uh, as far as who we were captive to at what given time um, or or what other cultures bore uh, a lot of influence on us, which yeah. I, I'm not saying that it's other cultures necessarily that, that did all the influencing, but we know that there was a lot of influencing done simply on the, the lingua francas that we've known of. Uh, uh, for right. such a long time. So I'm not saying that we weren't responsible for that, but I I do think some of it has been an imposition. However, I will say that there's a lot about phonetics and phonemes and the way that um the way that any of these glyphs are actually sounded out in the in the mouth with the okay. palate okay. that is another I would say another aspect um of meaning right. uh in not only the individual glyphs but the the words themselves there are some people that believe that um we don't have uh, a five senses but we actually have have 12 oh, and, and <laughs> okay. that they, yeah um i i don't know yeah. if i 
agree with this. Yeah, when my toes tingle, when my toes tingle, when my toes tingle, a weather front is moving in. <laughs> yeah, it no. be. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, I don't know how much I agree with it. I do know that it, that it is it, it's strong enough theoretically that um, what they say is that there's there's one sense that matches up to each one of the the cranial nerves. And it's, it's twelve cranial nerves. Interesting. Um, but this this could have quite a bit to do with it. This this could have quite a bit to do with why um, there there seems to be a number of words that we keep translating into in English or or our other modern languages um as the same word but they're they're actually quite different and the the glyphs being used um have different meanings they carry different meanings mm-hmm. i know i'm i'm digressing i'm getting off the subject no 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 of, no, no, no that's interesting of, of stuff because as you're uh well no i brought it up <laughs> so it's not your yeah. fault so but I'll, you can take the blame <laughs> so okay. what i see like the word ah in German, it's an expression of surprise, anger, yes. you know, but basically it's a reaction to something that hit you or you saw that surprised you. It's mm. an du Lieber, you know. So I, yes. I can see that phoneme appearing, you know, but now what would be the associated Hebrew or Obri glyph to that expression, you know, that, that phoneme? Well, I, I can tell you a direct word okay. uh, to that. Would be ah, same letters in Hebrew. A-H. Ah, okay, yes, okay. Alas, so it definitely comes from you're Hebrew, right? German has yes, German has a lot of characteristics that that we've retained um, from from Obery. You're not going to usually see that in. Um, you're not going to usually see that because for first off that that and that's Strong's entry H two fifty three ah. Um, and it's literally just a it's a it's a phonetic sound and there's a lot of those actually in Obery. Uh-huh. It's not just ak. You'll find it mostly in the uh, you'll find it mostly in the vowel words and it's typically a, a biglyph. It's a two glyph word. Okay. Uh, it could be a h. It could be a e. Um, a i. Uh, but yeah, there's there's a great many. Uh, almost anytime somebody sees alas uh, translated in the Bible, there's going to be one of those words it's just it's just pure phonetics uh-huh. um yeah because uh, it. yeah it because is, there's a vocalization of of emotion yeah. it does yeah it doesn't represent any object any physical object so you know, right. you know phoneticists and linguists philologists are still at a complete loss to explain how these phonemes developed <laughs> You know, but the Bible says, uh, I've, I've given you this language, use it, <laughs> right? So and it, Bible, would seem, it, yeah. it would seem as, ah, what, what you just said, and, and the Obrey equivalent, if you look at the glyphs, and um, I, I don't have a concrete as far as what I really believe that they mean, but I'm, I'm getting there. Now, yeah. the way that I, I do it is, is uh, I actually take um, any given glyph, across a great number of words that it will okay. appear in. Typically that I can prove that it appears in in first position. That would be dominant position, and then you have subdominant as second mm-hmm. position, and then sometimes you have the roots that have three positions. Okay. But um, what I'll typically do is I'll test it. Um, I'll test it across a, a large range of, of words, situations. Usually I try to look for ones that are going to be in all different kinds of literature of the Old Testament, um, and and then start to get an 
impression. Like, for instance, the A, which may very well be an ox's head. Right. Uh, um, but what seems to come with it is the idea of priority or more like okay. a priori. It's used as a... Uh, uh, it, it's used as a prefix for I when the speaker wants to speak of themselves. Okay. They, they use that as the prefix. So it's very much kind of, and it's at the beginning of the, uh, I call it a glyph set or the so, alphabet. So um, that's kind of and, bullish. Yeah. That's kind of bullish, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's why, that's to why assert yourself. It, it could, may well be the bull, and it, it may well actually be the uh, the, the horns, um, because there seems to be a lot of evidence that uh, maybe, perhaps, as old as the kings of Judah and Israel wore crowns that had horns on them, and that's where our modern crowns come from. Okay. The spires or spikes on the crowns was from horns. Okay. Possible. Okay. I don't Well, the Vikings know, liked, to, horns. liked horns, too. <laughs> right? I'm What's the that? bull. I'm the bull in charge, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Or bullish. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so... So you take that glyph, and then and then the second glyph in that expression would be H. Um, now, the H, or what's usually called Ket, um, and I haven't decided, uh, as far as the phonetics, whether I, I think it should be, be pronounced breathy or more with the, you know, um, right. the C-H sound. However, uh, just looking at the character of it and the words that it's used in, it t- tends to typically conjure up the thoughts of um, repetition. Typically, okay. Repetition. If you see a word that has these two chets uh, or h's together, it's it's typically uh, a chain or a bracelet with the okay. two together. Now you can find a lot of the uh, the simple uh, roots that just have those two letters side by side. Those are a great clue as okay, to sure. what that that glyph might be trying to tell you. So I would say that that an expression like that is not. Not only an emotive expression, but what the speaker of it is saying, whether consciously or unconsciously, is is not only they're expressing a very strong uh, emotion of the self coming from deep within, but that it's exasperated to its nth degree. Ah, it's a a very strong, exasperated expression. Mm -hmm. And I would say that just based on looking at the glyphs. Okay. But I would also go and search it out and see what context it's used in, because in in our old language, Hebrew or Obery context is king. It's so important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would imagine that is how um, Steve, Pastor Steve, was it Steve? Yeah, right. He's, that's, how he's, that's how he is spotting uh, um, issues in the text. Right. He's spotting them the same way. You're looking for patterns. Yes. Okay. It you're sounds like for what patterns. Yeah. Okay. It sounds like what you're doing because uh, we in identity we have uh, developed this process called word studies. Okay. And then w- whenever I read a, a biblical passage, it doesn't seem to make much sense. or is totally contradictory to what I believe. Right. I will t- yeah. t- t- find a word within the sentence and find out where else it is used in Scripture. And how it is used, and where you know, getting the basic meaning, both in the Hebrew and the Greek, of that word, okay, and where it deviates, okay. For example, in Hebrew, tzila, I understand is the word for side. 
however, or flank. Yeah. However, yeah. In, in, the, in its first use in Scripture, it's translated as rib. And I don't find any other evidence in Scripture of it being used as rib. Every other instance, it means side or flank. You know, like the side of a hill, yeah. side of a mountain, side of a person's yeah. body, or side of beef, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. it sounds like what you're doing is you're taking the original glyphs and doing that kind of study just for for the letter itself. Yeah. Yeah, okay. sometimes. Yes. Okay. Yes. And and that's funny about Sal. I ran into Sal uh, a while back when I was trying to figure out the, the most proper way to keep uh, a Passa or Passover. Oh, really? And uh, <laughs> the, the yes, the lamb. Uh, um, it, in the English, it says the lamb is to be roasted. You'll see this same root. Sal is used. Um, you look at the glyphs. You look at the uh, the so-called sadi. Uh, I usually call it a tsa or set. Um, and the second uh, uh, glyph root is the L. And what you can take away from that simply by the look of the glyphs itself is that it is a curved branch. Okay. It is something very close to a curved branch. Now, this can be a, a verb or it can simply be an object. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you look at, at it as a verb, you would be putting some kind of motion or energy to it. And thus, it explains why it would be rotisseried. So, right. Yeah, I was just thinking of that, a spit. <laughs> I was thinking of a yeah. spit as you were talking. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's and how you roast the lamb. explain why you would see as an object a helix. Oh, um, wow. Or even okay. a double helix. Right. It's probably why some would see rib, because mm-hmm. it's very much a curved branch. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So, I, but yeah, I, I've express the opinion okay well rib is not that horrible a translation it doesn't really fit in with the other uses of the yeah. word tzala or tila uh, right. it's interesting yeah. that in aramaic it's pronounced Allah. they have mm-hmm. dropped the ts yeah. and but interestingly in german uh uh isaac is, is pronounced taka or, or, mm-hmm. or a variant of it is pronounced taka, so you have that T-S in mm-hmm. there, okay? So a T-S-A and K-A is the way it's pronounced, taka, taka, taka. And, uh, yeah. But it's clearly Hebrew. It's clearly Hebrew, right? Yes. Yes. No doubt. Okay, so, so now you... Go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. You were on a roll. <laughs> okay. Oh, no, that's quite all right. So, um, gosh, let's yeah. see. Well, um, so what happened is, um, and this, this is this is how I don't want anyone to be blackpilled, uh, because I might we we might in the time that we have get into some of the the really interesting um, variants that are possibilities within the text. Um, so one one thing I think everybody should take heart in is that um, you can. You can really only change that the Masoretes could really only change these things just so much, mm-hmm. because one of the beauties is um, there's so many of let's say a particular word type in a particular form. Now you have to have certain grammar rules. Now it's true that that Masoretic Hebrew breaks a lot of those grammar rules, but not a lot. They do it so rarely that a lot of people don't pay attention. And honestly, most of our prof- professors and our hirelings are so comfortable and fat that they don't they don't pay enough attention like they should sure sure but there are those inconsistencies 
inconsistencies there. However, they had to keep the reins in. Because if they started changing these things too much, we'd catch on too fast. Right. So they couldn't change things that much. So a lot of the form of the Bible, we can trust that it has retained uh, the same form. You know, it it's mm-hmm. not difficult to see, like, for instance, the Ten Commandments. When it says la this, la that, it is saying not a no. Oh, a negative, and it's giving the commandment. We don't have to worry that they've been able to to change that dramatically. They may have been able to apply some some small embellishments to words here and there. Um, they may have been able to, like, say, in Exodus 20 and verse 11, convince us that out of all the people that aren't supposed to work on Sabbath, a, a cow isn't supposed to as well. But for the most part, we can trust that the form is pretty much the same. Now, the reason I mentioned that is because we had talked a little bit about bemeh, this word, bemeh, which is usually translated as beast. Um, I found that when I did a word study on that, um, it was bizarre uh, how many passages that that word would be used in, where in um, this bemeh, beast or cattle, was exhibiting human tendencies and characteristics uh, or so, vice versa i'm sorry that was just an aside i had to throw that in right no no understood. They changed it in that way too they've changed meanings and with their their anglican uh cohorts they mm-hmm. they have really done a number on the way we understand a lot of right this. okay so uh, let me pose this question would you say that the masoretes uh, by uh, adding their vowel points have dramatically changed many verses, and I think we can check uh, any major changes by looking at the translation of the Septuagint and see if uh, you know see if there's any radical differences there. But we have the same yeah. problem with the translation of the Septuagint from Greek into English. They tend to universalize a lot of the words, right? So, but nevertheless, yeah. and then we have the Dead Sea Scrolls and a few other texts that we can compare with. So what's your sense? Did the Masoretes do a wholesale uh, job on the vowels of, uh, of Hebrew or just here and there for, you know, for deceptive purposes? What's your, what's your view on that? Yeah, um, well, I, I do think that um, I think that their purposes were, were certainly nefarious. I don't know how yet. And the the reason I believe that, even though I don't know how, is because of all the other behaviors of theirs that, that I've been able to uh, to to see. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really interesting. You know, you you take something like, um, and they can do numbers. Now, I don't know that all of these are are purposeful. And the funny thing is, is that you'll see inconsistencies even in their uh, dots and dashes, the way that they're applied and what they're applied to. But the way that this is painful can be like, uh, for instance, uh, I believe it is in Genesis 12 um, when, let's see, Yahweh comes to Abram uh, and he says to him that uh, he should leave his house. Uh, he's going to bless him, make his, his name great. Now, in I think it's Genesis 12, 3, we always tend to read uh, and in in thee, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Okay. Um, now, that right there, I th- think, is a very interesting example, because what we're looking at is um, 
we're looking at a word that is translated as families. And it happens to be Adam May. Now, with you doing that study you're doing right now, Genesis to Revelation, you've already seen that Adam May, which would be uh, A-D-M-E or Aleph, Dalit, Mem, uh, uh, He, is actually used as soil. And okay. the way that it's used is dictated by the Masoretic vowel markings. Okay. The interesting thing is this. Um, I've noticed in my studies that any given noun or thing, if you add what is oftentimes called a feminine ending, the E, it's not, it's not just going to make it feminine in the sense of gender, but what it can do is actually soften a, a harder noun or harder thing. It, it might generalize it. So because they decided to apply families to this occurrence of ADME, what they're doing is they're taking the reader's attention off the fact that this could literally be the word mankind. Adam, mm. eh. Adam, okay. eh. Like man. Everybody who is man or man-like through you and your mm -hmm. descendants would be blessed. That's just one example. Okay. There's so many more. Okay, well, uh, uh, so it's uh, Adam, how did you pronounce it? Uh, Adame? Adame, yeah. Adame, mm -hmm. okay. So, but uh, the, the strongest definition of that, if, if, I, if I got the right word, is to show blood in the face. Okay. Yeah. And also, the, the word for dirt <laughs> is from the mm -hmm. same root. What's the difference between Adama and, uh, I think they, they sp spell it Adama in, uh, mm -hmm. in Strong's Concordance. And for that, they, they say it means red dirt. So how, mm -hmm. how, how do we distinguish between men who show blood in the face and red dirt? <laughs> right. Context. Context. Context is, is so important. And um, what, what's really strange is when you look at Genesis 12, 3, you, you have the context, you have the words being said, you have buck, kal, mishpahat, and then adameh. Okay. Um, the thing is, for it to say, in you is the bak, kal is the all, mishpahat is the families, and then... Okay. The Adame is the soil. Now, I you know some people might say, you know, we're agrarian, and I, I agree, Israelites are, mm -hmm. but not all Adamites and those that are similar are, okay. per se. Yes, there sure. is enough room based on context and the fact that we, we have the exact same glyphs represented here that we would have represented in Adam. We simply have the generalized E at the end. However, we also have the proper noun E at the beginning. Because when you put that E at the beginning, it has a different sort of function than when you put it at the end. When you put sure. it at the end, it tends to generalize or feminize. When you put it at the beginning, it tends to take more. It, it tends to take the generalization away. It tends to specify right. or oh, make okay. more Interesting. masculine. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, uh, well, yeah, I guess some uh, Adama could be uh, bricklayers, carpenters, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Not necessarily uh, agriculturalists, right? Yeah. So so are, are you suggesting that that word, which is generally defined as red dirt, uh, has more um, 
more meanings than uh, than red dirt? I I am saying that um, I don't know yet why um, Adama is used as uh, as soil or red dirt. Okay. Um, what I'm saying is the part of the process is being able to look at all of the instances where I have a certain combination of these glyphs. Okay. And uh, and then look at the context and see if the context always works. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's very similar to what you're doing in any general word study. Right. And I would say that um, most people out there they don't necessarily have to go as far as as trying to learn another language i'm not saying it's not helpful and 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 it's really good to know at least some things about some language i know a decent amount about greek not a lot but enough to make myself functional when i'm i'm having to work in that environment however i've seen people do remarkable word studies with simply a good concordance Mm -hmm. in the bible and even not a great translation just king james the strongs and i've seen remarkable things done yeah yeah. um but you know i'm just trying to um obviously there's more and there's things that we don't know i'm just doing my best to try to find the evidences of what are the facts present what i've found and let everybody who hears it make up their own mind um decide do they do they think that's factual do they think that those theories are fair do they think they have weight um, and they can be the judge. Uh, I'm not trying to impose this necessarily on anybody, but I do, I do tend to be passionate about arguing my case sure. and let the chips fall where they may. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so now we're seeing that, uh, that, that uh, let's say, call it the word study method applied to uh, glyphs and phonemes. And so, where can you give us a couple of examples where you you know that the Masoretes have really done a number <laughs> on uh, you know mistranslating something? Do you ha- do you have a couple of examples for us? Yeah, let me take a look at something okay. here real quick. All right, because um, I put a few notes together, uh, but I didn't put that together. However, I have a number of those examples in my other documents. So, if you give me one second. And I've got about a half dozen, a dozen uh, documents pulled okay. up, but it'll take me just yeah. a second, and I'll find a few pretty good examples. I think. Yeah. I apologize. No, no, no problem. I, I wasn't I think, sure if. Yeah, there, Go there's there, there's got to be a lot of examples. You know, uh, well, if, even the word Yahweh, you know, or, or the word for um, nation. And because mm-hmm. uh, the the tra- it's the translations of these words that cause the most trouble, right? But do the yeah. trans are the translations impacted by the the fake jots and tittles that the Masoretes have been put in there? I guess that's kind of what I'm asking. But yeah. The, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Terribly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, terribly. Um. So what what I one thing I mentioned earlier was that. At, uh, that bit of a word study I did on on Oreb, and um, it will appear if you if you take a look at that one, that'll appear about a dozen different ways, um, many different things. And now I'm not saying that it's incorrect necessarily to look at it as uh, a willow by a brook. I'm not saying it's uh, incorrect to look at it as a mixed multitude. Now the reason is Oreb is first seen 
and most predominantly used as evening. Uh, the okay. evening. And if you look at uh, if you look at the glyphs, you'll see the the rab also is used as a a, a simple root uh, for for multiply or actually kind of to spread. Hmm. Okay. Interesting thing about the B when you were were describing the uh, the glyphs at the beginning of the show, you described the B as they have it on that chart as almost like a squared spiral. Right. What's so interesting about that is is of course they call it the Masoretes call it bet, which is actually the Hebrew word for house. Right. And a lot of um, people who teach uh, Paleo Hebrew, like Jeff Benner, will tell you that it's stands for a house but the thing is if you look at it you can see that it's very much drawing you in okay uh, and so yeah. when we look at it in context of uh, a preposition it's actually used as a prefix for the preposition in with okay near or by right so it's so it's kind of so, like an invitation word come in in the in the front yeah in the front of of a word. However, oftentimes when you see it at the tail end of the word, it can mean the opposite. It can really? mean out. Okay. Reb, <laughs> meaning multiply or spread, you'll see that B oftentimes in these simple roots having to do with more things that are outward as right. opposed to inward. Interesting. Um, okay. Oh, so uh, a, a, so you a, take a, a, a reb. Uh, 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 what do you call it? Uh, uh, a swastika that turns to the left versus a swastika that turns to the right, right? Kind of like that. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah please continue. Uh, depending on its position, a, a glyph's position, it can have different functions. Um, kind of like the e, how it, yeah. it can make something more specific or stronger at the beginning, or less specific and weaker at the end, depending right. on where it's at. So if you take rab, you'll see that it has to do with spreading. You take that O, which often has to do with being very complete or sometimes above, like an umbrella, like a shelter. Okay. You see O rab together, and you, you understand why it's evening. The sun spreads, the darkness covers the landscape okay. like a blanket right. or umbrella. Yeah. Now, interesting. what's interesting is a willow does something very similar. Yeah. And whoever this mixed multitude was, I imagine they p perhaps got that moniker for being, you know, um, mixed multitudes do tend to breed quite a bit and spread over the land. <laughs> right, quite a lot. right, right. And, and they create darkness. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, actually, the word uh, Arab, Arab means to become dark. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. No. Okay. It has, Oreb has a lot to do with dark. Darkness. It's it's used in a number of places as blanket or covering. Okay. Um, so I'm not saying that these words don't have different um, yeah. uses because you have have the concrete and you do have the abstract. Right. Right. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't impose that. I wouldn't say if you see three glyphs together, they always have to be the same right. thing or the same action all the time. Right. Oh, yeah, because obviously the, we do yeah. see these you know these different things. That could all be called that same word, and, and and all of them making sense that they're called that word. Right. Um, well, yeah. In addition, uh, the Hebrew word for light is or, as I understand it, O R. Yeah. It's usually spelled O R E, if I'm not mistaken. A U R. But that, 
or a u r yeah or so it with the proper uh suffix it would could it could be you know the the light being uh you know taken away which is uh-huh. kind of so i don't know if you consider that that uh, prefix or and the the reb coming together meaning the light go- going down or the sun going down right i mean i'm yeah. just guessing you know i'm, I'm trying to you know, uh, take you know, the technique you're describing. Now, obviously, uh-huh. the, the more you become familiar and do these comparisons, you know, you, you see uh, patterns emerge. Yes. Uh, are the rabbis yeah. at all familiar with what you're doing, or they they just you know it's fixed in their minds that these words have a particular meaning, and that's that. Yeah, I don't think most of your street level rabbis, your pedestrian rabbis, necessarily necessarily are uh, are privy to that um i do believe that there are people uh as you climb up the hierarchy that are far more well informed okay um and you know honestly the street level rabbi the pedestrian jew i don't think they really know or understand what the uh the higher up level jews do um right so, yeah you know they have they have their own you know little yeah. pyramid um, yeah, so I think a lot of the rabbis, they just kind of do a lot of times what the, uh, the evangelicals do. They, they kind of re- regurgitate what they were taught. Right. And, and, you know, live their lives and do their thing. Um, I think this yeah. is more of a, um, a hierarchy sort of thing. I yeah. do think people somewhere know this. I yeah. think they oh, understand I this. Because there are people in, in high up places that understand exactly who we are. Yeah. They know who we are. They know who they are. Yeah, they know, you know it's no coincidence that communism is red, <laughs> right? That the English Model Army was red. Mm-hmm. That's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence that the Martinist sign was red, or that uh, Bauer picked Rothschild as a name, right? Things like that. Uh, so yeah, somewhere somebody knows. Sign. I think. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's okay. So, having brought that up, what is the Obri difference between Adam? And Edom, it, what what is the you know sim, uh, letter difference there? Well, Any... oftentimes there's in, interestingly enough, oftentimes there's no letter difference. Okay. Um, in a lot of manuscripts, the the U and and that's what um, what distinguishes it when we first see the uh, the incident between Jacob and Esau. We okay. see that he sold his birth right for something as meager as a meal and because of that he was given as a a derogative name Adum because he sold it for red food okay red Um, pottage right (laughs) yeah grown from red dirt (laughs) so he was given the name yeah unlike unlike some of our buddies who had red hair when we were younger and we'd call him red um he actually inherited that name red because of um, his low character, yeah. so it's actually in many cases you'll see the um, the word um, Edom, and you will see it as ADM, exactly the same as the Adam from okay. uh, from Genesis two in the garden. So sometimes you... with the U, but sometimes without. Oftentimes when it it uh, it's Edomites, they'll drop the U. The U is so it's a real funny. I'm sorry, it's, it's often called the Vav. Um, okay, it's, right. it's a real fun funny letter, the way that it often gets dropped, and I don't always know if that's a copyist thing, or, 
or if that's just indicative to the language. That's something that I still haven't um, made up my mind about yet. Right. And, and but yeah, so, so that's the answer. Oftentimes they're exactly the same word. Okay. But so again, you have to check the context to see if Adam and let's say Adam and Eve are being talked about versus Edom and his Hittite wives are being talked about, right? So yes. th- that would be a, a good clue. But then uh, there's got to be passages where you have to scratch your head and say, well, is this Adam or Edom? Sometimes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, there's there's some words that no matter what you do, you it's really hard to mistake them. Um, you know, we, we talked a little bit about um, how uh, some concordances or lexicons will deem um, kinim, as uh, which is which is the Kenite as Smith, right? And 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 they'll take that from Tubal Cain, uh, an ancestor, of course, of the uh, the original Cain. Right. Um, yeah, but descendant. it's right. just really hard because of context and because we see their behaviors and because we can see their ancestors or I'm sorry, their descendants' behaviors right. today. Yeah. Um, it's really hard to to fool us and put that into any other context and say that it, maybe it's just talking about a generality. That's specifically right. talking about a people that came from a right. guy with the, uh, the name Kof, uh, Yad, and Nun, or Kin, mm-hmm. um, and he, he's unmistakable. He, um, but yeah, I, I'm actually still kind of thumbing around to, to see if I can find um, better examples uh, of those things. Go ahead. Well, so, uh, so uh, what, Kof, Yod, and Nin uh, is the N? So that's... Uh, the for, Nun, yeah. That's nun, what okay, the Nun. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so that would... Uh, uh, well, how about Kine? Because that, the, the word Kine is Hebrew for cattle. Mm-hmm. So is there any connection there? Is, are those spelled differently or the same? Well, let me see. For Well, cattle, you have a few different words that... They'll, uh, they'll okay. translate now maybe, that's just, uh, have to... maybe that's just a translation that doesn't relate to the the letters you just pointed out. I'm just guessing there, right? Mm-hmm. So, but uh, but yeah, it is true that uh, that the word Smith uh, is actually a, a, another good translation for uh, uh, Kenite. Okay, so uh, they will say Kenite. Well, is a descendant of Cain. But I found out that it often simply means smith, and it could mm-hmm. be a smith of our people as well. So the strong concordance uh, doesn't get that. Okay, mm-hmm. this is a conclusion I've come to on my own that uh, it, it, is that it right? can mm-hmm. it, yeah it can mean Kenite in terms of smith because you mm-hmm. have a tra- wandering uh, tribes of nomadic people. Sometimes they are uh, Adamites. And not Kenites, mm-hmm. and and the, the uh, translators and even the concordance uh, people don't get that. Okay, that uh, yeah. you know, so, so we have to deal with that in our concordances as well. Mm-hmm. Not too often, very rarely, mm-hmm. but uh, just in you know, my words. Go ahead. Yeah. One thing I did for my my myself, and uh, I had help from uh, a, a gentleman across the country who he he's actually currently working on a software. It's an app. And um, it's uh, it's an app that uses for its character Obery. Its orientation is uh, is left to right, so it's it's in our modern orientation. 
It's using the the Paleo Hebrew character or Obri, and and what it's doing is it's it's giving the the user the option when they get to a verse of being able to to scroll through the various different possibilities of of words. Um, a, a lot of these are based on roots. A lot of them are are based on um, either what has worked the best. Because again, not everything that the Masoretes have given us is wrong because they can't be wrong about everything. Sure. They have to be right about a number of things. A lot of their verb conjugations are correct, but some of them are not correct. Mm-hmm. Or they're correct, and the reason that they give us that they're correct is actually incorrect. <laughs> right. um, lie it's, to us. Uh, it's, a right. Tangled, it's a tangled web they weave. Uh, yeah. But, um, he's, he's very uh, very adept with, uh, with computers and software and and um, and taking languages and converting them or writing a software to learn how to read a character and convert it. He's been able, when I'll get a hold of a good copy of uh, a Hebrew manuscript, he's able to convert that very quickly into Obery, and it's oriented instead of right to left, from left to right. And I have uh, a number of keys, if anybody goes to my website, which is Obery Project with a K, uh, obreyproject.info, and they look on the resources page, there is a Strong's list there. Uh, all of the entries that we have for, in Strong's Hebrew concordance, I don't have any entries there of what's called Chaldee or Aramaic entries. That that would be a separate list I'll be making, and I'm also working on a, a Greek one right now as well. Okay. But I, I give the the keys, the way that the uh, the Obri letters are keyed in. Most of of them are really obvious, you know. If if it's uh, if it's a, a bet, it's B. If it's a gimel, it's G. If it's a dollar, it's D, and so on and so forth. Uh, right. Only a couple of them are a little odd because they they kind of have to be. But anybody could take that, and they could also t- take the. Um, I have two different versions of the Hebrew Old Testament. I have the uh, the the Leningrad, so the Westminster Codex, uh, Leningrad hmm. Westminster, and. Uh, uh, I also have the um, the Masoretico uh, critical. Okay. They're both different. They have their differences, but both of them are available there. And what anybody can do, they can just uh, they can just grab that. They can do this in their browser, or they can download it, um, and um, they can run this in their uh, their Acrobat or whatever PDF reader they might have. D- just do a Control F, and take the word that you're interested in. If somebody's doing a word study. Take the word you're interested in and control F it and see what comes up. And um, whenever it highlights that word, you'll be able to go in. And what I recommend is using eSword. You can open up eSword and and, um, you can select any word. I have a a module in Bibles on eSword. It's just Hebrew OT or Old Testament plus. And it's the ones it's going to have those Strong's codes in purple next to all the words. So you can open that up and you can find that verse and the word that you found using the uh, one of those Obery manuscripts. You, you can find that word. You can click on that. It's going to give you the Strong's entry and what they say the meaning is. All right. But moreover, what you can do is you can, you can right-click on that, go to Quick Search On, and then select Old Testament. Or if you want, you can only search in the book that you're in. Once you do that, it will bring up another screen. In that screen, something very interesting happens that I don't know if this is common knowledge or not. What you can do is you can actually select portions of any of the Hebrew text within that. Okay. And 
and you can put that into the search window. Search that, and that's going to show you all of the times that that word, or sometimes you can put in combinations, come up in verses in the Bible in this particular translation. Okay. And you'll find these very interesting, odd things going on. Like, for instance, if you were to take, um, let's say, Arur, the word Arur, I think it's H773. Now, it's most commonly used as H773 as curse. Okay. Um, We'll see it a lot, actually. And um, I don't know if I can pull it up fast enough to make this uh, efficacious, so I'll just go forward with it. If you were to take that and and look at it in this window, you will see that it it occurs. This is one of the weird things about listings. You might see a Strong's listing like Arur. That's listed as A-R-R or Aleph Resh Resh. Okay. But when you start looking at all of the occurrences of that, you'll see that it's oftentimes occurring in many different forms. And what's very odd is you might see it in a form that is... T-A-R, or Tav Aleph Resh. Now, oftentimes, the context would dictate that it is actually a conjugation of of R, even though R is not the same as RR. However, if you would select that and, and put that into that window and do a search on it, you'll find out that very often when those glyphs come together as T-A-R in other contexts, they actually don't mean curse. They're used most often as beauty or comely really? form. Okay. It's very odd that oftentimes we'll be presented with many words uh, um, in one form. But when we start searching all of the examples of that, and that's one of the great things that eSword can do, is it can show you the, the actual letters or glyphs involved in the mm-hmm. makeup of these words. Nice. So that you can start determining, um, it, does this does this look like, like it um, is consistent? Now, a lot of people, they're not going to be able to start looking at the context of the whole verse and determining, does that, that context make sense? Now, does it make sense as far as do the rules always apply right. in the same way all the time? They may not be able to do that, but they will be able to start finding things that are out of place. Yeah. Um, okay. And it, I hope for a number of people that will be enough to really whet their appetite. Right. Um, they'll okay. see enough contradictions yeah. to know that there are a lot of possibilities oh. in the word. I think that the Bible's the right. most exciting thing to study by far, oh, sure. hands down. Right. Nothing else. So, in its, in okay. Its so are you saying that the combination T A R uh, is as found within a word or the combination T-A-R as a word in itself? Or are you talking as, about Yeah, both? as a word in itself oftentimes. Yeah, okay. as a word in itself oftentimes. Okay. So, then so the, the, A-R-R or A... Yeah, go ahead. So the context would tell you whether it's a curse or a stunningly beautiful woman. <laughs> right? I mean... Oh, it's yeah. Well, like, like in... Uh, I'm so beautiful, I'm cursed. Nobody, they won't leave me alone. <laughs> right? Beauty is a curse. Yeah, it's I a curse. That That's why I don't have any. <laughs> right. Yeah, um, and then oftentimes, of course, the context should tell you that. Uh, um, like in Genesis 12, 3, but the thing is, the context doesn't always tell you that. Sometimes the context is going 
going to have a red flag for you. And it's going to tell you this may not be exactly what they've told you it it is. Mm -hmm. So you should take a look at it. Right. And that involves time-consuming research, (laughs) like a word study. Right. Yeah. It does. Yeah. It does. Yeah. Okay. So uh, now we we know that the the vast majority of cases, the Masoretic text is... It's it's not so much that the Masoretic text is wrong, but the translations of the text are horrible. But uh, we yeah. also know that they have tampered with the original text. So, what was the codex you mentioned? That uh, in in Russia, what was that codex? Yeah. Uh, what was the name so of that? So that's um, yeah, that's the Leningrad Leningrad codex. codex. Now, is that yeah. is, is that not Masoretic? Uh, where does that come from? It, it is. It is, oh, it, it is. is actually Masoretic. Oh, it's yeah, also Masoretic. It, oh, okay. So what they've done is they've made that like the standard nowadays. So before, when the, the King James Bible was translated, what they were using um, and pulling the Old Testament from was called the Mikriot Um It also it has a nickname, the Second Rabbinic Bible. Um, <laughs> that's, yeah. The Rabbinic Bible. And, and right. if you look at... You look at the uh, the version of it that was published by um, oh he was one of the publishers that had to do with I, th- I think the King James and I can't remember now. Anyways, you look at that and um, it's as rabbinic as it gets as far <laughs> okay. as the notes, you know, yeah, right, the notes all around right. it and whatnot. Understood. Um, yeah, but yeah, that's what the King James was translated from. It's called the Mikrayot Gedalot, um, and then later on down the road they they come. Um, come at us with this uh, this Leningrad Codex. Now, the Leningrad Codex, funny thing is, the the Nikidote, the dots and dashes on the Leningrad Codex, they don't agree <laughs> with other texts. Oh, okay. Like, they don't agree with the Aleppo Codex, but what they've done, they took the Leningrad Codex and they said, well, we like this because it's one of the most complete texts we have, which I don't agree with because right. I've actually indexed over 30 texts that that I have a link to at my website that people can look at. They yeah. can look at this this Hebrew in many different forms, written by many different hands, um, and it's indexed. You can jump to whatever book in the Old Testament you want to very easily. Okay. So I don't agree with that when they say it's the most complete. It's a complete text. Okay. So, but for some reason they use it, and it is quite different than actually the Mikreo Gedalot. It's a good deal different than actually the, uh, the Masoretico Critical and some others. So they take this text and they say, well, gosh, we like the character, but we just don't like those darn Nakud, which makes one wonder how in the world they can try to sell us the dream right. that uh, the okay. Nikidote were actually the standardization because they don't have a standardized standardization. Well, yeah, because they took the Nikidote. Yeah, okay, understood. As we know, rabbis disagree with the, each other. The Aleppo Codex. Yeah, yeah <laughs> right, they right. Do. Yeah. And if you read, if you read their public. Like Encyclopedia Judaica, they admit that they yeah. talk about. Oh, uh, they they just they so many different rabbis of so many different schools of so many different Masora Nikudo. They don't agree. Yeah, yeah. They don't agree. Okay. And so this is one of the reasons that they had to take the system used in the Aleppo Codex and apply it to the Leningrad Codex. Right. And they did this relatively recently, uh-huh. so that should okay. tell people a lot. Well, rabbis should agree with each other, shouldn't they? <laughs> 
right? Of course, if they they're never talking do. about the truth, they ought yeah, to. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, right. All right. There's a question uh, floating around in the chat room. I don't know if you've had a chance to do any uh, research on the years, uh, uh, words that are actually numbers or, or numbers. Uh, uh, Brother Abraham yeah. asked, "Does do you, John, believe that the Masoretes cut out?" 1,380 years from the Septuagint timeline, or from any timeline, for that matter. Yeah. Have you had a yeah. chance to uh, well, work it, on that? Yeah, you know, I've, I've looked a lot at numbers. Um, and, it, I mean, first off, that's another inorganic thing, is the Masoretes applying uh, what they call gematria, numbers, so these sure. physical numbers. That's, that's not what we see in the text of course what we see in the text are words that would otherwise be in a sense common words applied to numbers okay. a hod would be actually a number for a tip of a blade something that's very um very, very minute singular sharp minuscule yeah. yeah yeah and it goes on to shen and shalash they're they're typically used as common words but to get to to brother eber's question um yeah i do believe that the masoretes cut out a lot of that time that we can find in the Septuagint. The reason being is because, for one thing, it doesn't make a lot of sense. The way that the timeline is from the Micrio Gedolo, which is what the King James used and what we've inherited for the most part in our Western texts. Right. Um, the fact that almost every descendant that, uh, that Shem had died before him up into Abraham is, uh, is morbid bizarre. Right. Now I'm not saying it's impossible, but I am saying there exists enough proof to the contrary to, to tell us that, hey, you know what, I think that, that they fooled around with the, with the, numbers. the years on these people's lives. Yeah, yeah. They took away a hundred every time. Uh -huh. the, the word for a hundred in, in uh -huh. almost every case from uh, Shem's son on that. Right. Arthur sad on down. Yeah. Now I understand that the reason they did that was uh, to uh, they did a number of uh, strange things into the Old Testament text in order to uh, eliminate the proof that Yahshua is the Messiah. Okay. So uh, that's that's commonly stated by many Christian authors that they mm -hmm. tampered with the text in order to accomplish that objective. So um, yeah. would that be the case here in removing years so that they can confuse the genealogy? Would that be a, a mm. fair way? That's well, uh, that's very possible. Okay. All right. I would yeah. say it's possible without without really knowing. Um, it's those genealogies. Genealogies. There's something that I haven't looked into. Unfortunately, I haven't had the time to look hard into genealogies. They are yeah. very important. Yes. Um, but I do agree on the fact that the Masoretes have have changed a lot of things, or uh, certainly oh. down, downplay a lot of messianic passages okay. in the Old Testament. Right. Um, and okay. you know something from um, speaking of the the last conversation I heard you have. Have with uh, with Pastor Martins from South Africa, he was mentioning how he was of the same mindset that the New Testament, at least the Gospels, let's say, were first written in Hebrew. Mm -hmm. uh, um, I would have to be a big supporter of that idea, not only because of my studies in Greek and how many words that I believe are actually transliterated Hebrew or Obery words words mm -hmm. that have just been set to Greek, and they tell us that they're from a dubious origin or from an uh, unused root, which they can't prove oftentimes. Right. But also because which means they of the don't idiom. know. <laughs> right. 
right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. But because of the idiom, uh, for one thing, and um, and the other thing is, uh, you know, a lot of people say that well, the, the Septuagint, we know that. Uh, they used the Septuagint, or they spoke Greek, because um, the the quotations in the New Testament, specifically the Gospels, match up to the Septuagint the best. And I would say, well, that's a two-edged sword. That could be the case, but what could also be the case is that at one time there was a Hebrew text that was far more accurate, and in a lot of ways was very much like the Septuagint, and oh, okay. what they were quoting was simply the more perfect Hebrew text. Uh-huh. Um, okay. Yeah. I think there's been a lot of changes, but I think all of the evidence still exists for us, the the, the people that we, we are, who want to think our God's thoughts after him. Um, we're j- just the man for the job. I think we're just the people for the job. And mm-hmm. he's going to use us. He's going to use many of us to unravel this mystery and many mysteries because we're kind of in the middle of of a lot of mysteries right now. Yeah. And I think his people are going to be at the center of unraveling all of that. Okay, well, because uh, we haven't talked about this word at all, and maybe you haven't been able to delve into this word, but the rabbis adamantly claim that the word virgin is a mistranslation uh, in, the, in the New Testament, for, or in the Old Testament where it says, a virgin shall conceive. Okay, and yeah. they adamantly insist that that does not mean virgin; it means young maiden. However, as you just pointed out, the Septuagint has virgin, <laughs> and that, that was translated mm-hmm. by Hebrew scribes, Judahite scribes to be specific, directly from the Hebrew into the Greek. So we have a great mm-hmm. disparity between the Septuagint and uh, the Masoretes claiming that it doesn't mean virgin. Can you? take that word apart for us uh, or have you ever had a chance to do that yeah that that's an interesting one that's a really interesting one now i would say that um the word it's actually olame so it's um it's olam which is typically used for a young man like a teenager okay. um but it does have that feminine ending that eh, uh-huh. um that i talked about earlier that here's what i would say I don't know that there's anything to the glyphs themselves about that per se, because I haven't done a word study on that word okay. uh, to to definitely say that that word in and of itself in the glyphs or in the form is definitely saying a woman who hasn't known a man. However, mm-hmm. however, we know based on the law that a young woman, which an old is a young woman. It's just the feminine version of a young man or okay. teenager, a very, very young man. Yeah. That a young woman who's not married, because if she was married, she would be an Asha, somebody's Asha. She's okay. not married. So we know if she's not married, she darn well better be a virgin. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. But not to the Jews. They don't care about that. <laughs> well, right. That's a whole okay. other story. Yeah, sure. right. Okay, yeah, understood. So in in olden days, yeah, uh, a, a virgin better not she better be a virgin. Yeah, yeah. So so absolutely. I can see in the rabbinical mindset, it uh, it can't mean virgin. It just means young maiden, <laughs> right? Because that's what they want it to mean, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, these but were now, the people that brought these were the people that brought the 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 these things called the sukut banut uh, into our father's land back in. Uh, King 17, which seemed to be houses of underage prostitution. So, 
um, you know, I don't know what their culture. And I know these people are they're 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 very much a mix of of peoples. But um, yeah, I I don't really know what they would know about um, the preciousness or the lawfulness of virginity in a woman, um, or how much they would respect it. So. Okay, well, there, uh, but in uh, not just Semitic tradition, but Arab tradition and uh, old old days. You know, we're talking about uh, he, uh, yeah. Old Testament times. It, w- yeah. it was a tradition that the bride they put a towel on uh, on the bed so mm-hmm. that uh, she would bleed. Okay, mm-hmm. and that was evidence that she was a virgin. That still that tradition still mm-hmm. exists in many cultures today, right? And more that, primitive. that was in in the law in in our law that was a life and death sort of a, a matter okay a, a guy could a, a man could take a, a young woman an olame and he could marry her and um, he could accuse her after consummation of not being a virgin and mm. she would have to go before the judges and they would have to determine and her parents would get involved because they were were trying to spare the life of their daughter, especially if they knew she was virtuous and pure. Yeah, um, like Mary. <laughs> so yeah, this was, right. <laughs> yes, yes, this was a big deal. This mm-hmm. was a big deal, and I think that's why Joseph wanted. He didn't really want to to put her away publicly or in a way that embarrassed her, because that could mean her doom. That's right. And and he was a good man, and he he didn't want to see her possibly be uh, be stoned. Yeah. Or, you know, right. And yeah, because yeah, it and could he, mean that. So, so if somebody read that prophecy in Isaiah, a virgin shall conceive. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe he was aware of that prophecy, or what, one of the priests said, "Hey, wait a minute! It says right here, a virgin shall conceive." <laughs> right? Maybe she's the one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes, and I, I think that they would not, for a second, uh, see this Olame as anything but a woman who. Didn't yeah. know a man. Right. A woman was not to know a man yeah. until their husband. Right. There were only a few cases where this, where something might happen, where a woman was forced, and if yeah. she was forced, then that man, if if she and her father, more her father, were okay with her marrying this man, then yeah. this man would have to support her for the rest of her life as his wife. Right. Right. Or then, in the cases where she wasn't okay with it, that man would be killed. Or, right. Or heavily find something but the whole right. point was that i i don't think that any woman uh would be given to another man a decent man as his wife without full disclosure right and and he could freely decide to take her as a wife or not because of that yeah. but the the rule the condition of a young woman would be virginity mm-hmm. period yeah without question okay so in other words uh, the assertion by the rabbis is utter nonsense they're, they're, I regard it as such. Yeah, yes. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but uh, there's also cases where there. Let me, for lack of a better expression, let, let me call them shotgun weddings. Where, as what you yeah. just described, uh, yeah. a, a young man and a young woman, their passions get the best of them, right? And so yeah. their relationship was not sanctioned by either set of parents, and then uh, lo and behold, she becomes pregnant. I, I, really, then, isn't it up to the parents, you know, uh, to ask the, the the man and the woman, are you okay with living with each other for the rest of your lives, you know, and if so, we will forgive your transgression and blah, 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 
okay? Mm-hmm. Because I know there's incidents. Yeah, in those guilt. cases, both yeah. parties are guilty of an offense. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the, the law, um, I, I think some people get the, the idea that the law is very misogynistic. Um, I, it, it's not. There's a hierarchy. But you know, between men and women, and husband and wives, certainly. But uh, it's not misogynistic. If, if if something like that happens, both parties have a certain amount of guilt and responsibility. Right. And then it would be up to the parents for for sure to decide. Uh, which usually the best thing is going to be. Well, if he just. Dis- decided that he wanted to to have sex with her and and she submitted because there's different cases of either submittance or non-submittance and that has you know that factors into the law and how this sort of thing is handled um then yeah yeah, the parents would say well then he needs to take her and he needs to keep her as his wife and he needs to give her the wifely privileges and duties and food and everything else Uh, unless she hates him and uh, regards him as as a rapist and and, uh you know someone who has violated her right Yeah, That's so a story. So the yeah. woman can can be uh, compassionate, let's say, <laughs> toward if she has any feelings yeah. for him. I don't know that yeah. being raped is uh, you can ever have compassion for somebody who does that, but maybe, right? Know. Right? Maybe. Feminists think you ought to, <laughs> <Maybe. Yeah. laughs> right? <laughs> you know, the law the law leaves a lot of room for mercy. Right. Maybe that's something that a lot you know the Pharisees didn't get, and that's probably something that a lot of our shepherds in the Old Testament didn't get. The law yeah. does leave room for a lot of mercy. Oh, yeah. There's not a, a have to. And I, I can't stand the people who slander the law. They slander our God by saying, let's say, there has to be this, there has to be that. There are guys who will go around and they will say, it was a law. It was a law in the Old Testament that you had to impose usury upon another people. That is nonsense. Yeah, no, it is That is not, not true. That's an outright lie. Uh-huh. You didn't have to impose usury. You could. Yes. Impose interest on a foreigner. Yeah. But you didn't have to. No. Well, and there, plus the Israelites never had a bank. Mercy. Yeah, the Israelites never had a bank, an institution called a bank, money lending institution. No. They loaned money no. to each other occasionally, right? Often charging interest even to other Israelites, which is a violation of the law, but they did it anyway, right? <laughs> okay. So, uh, As so we do today. Yeah. yeah, as we still still do today, absolutely. So, uh, yeah. what what's the word for usury? If, well, there's a lot of words actually for usury. You remember, um, <laughs> you remember that word I brought up earlier, Oreb. Um, <laughs> really? Uh, one wow. Of the, one of the yeah, one of the entries Darkening. you'll actually find is is <laughs> is dark. usury or pledge. Sometimes. Uh-huh. you'll find it as, um, which is interesting that it's also used as blanket. Um, mm-hmm. But there's there's a number of words for usury. Um, there's masha, which is very similar to the, the name Moses Masha. Really, um, it has a root of um, it has a root of um, lifting, very much like um, nasha. It, it's that got that sha root. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know exactly why it would have this root having to do with lifting, but then there's mm-hmm. also nasha. Same root, sha. The mm-hmm. the next one is actually nashe. Same sort of root, but there, there's a, a difference between that feminine e and that mm-hmm. um, that sort of power word a at yeah. the end. And then you have basically nashak. They're all very similar, actually. Mm-hmm. They just vary in. Now, here's the interesting thing, though. When you get to like nashak, nashak has that k ending, and almost everything having to do with the k has 
has something to do with imposing uh, literally physical force on somebody. Mm -hmm. We'll see that in the roots like um, ka, just the simple root ka, ka meaning to smite or strike somebody. Okay. Okay. Smite or strike somebody. Yeah. Um, Which I'm actually surprised that usury isn't always having to do with work. Words that are violent like that. Right. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, there's about five, five different words. They tend to, three of them have the same root. The other two have a root that has to do with, with more of a, a type of, of wounding okay. or smiting, which okay. I would say those are probably closer. All right. The ones that would have, yeah. Okay. Speaking of that suffix, shah, how about nasha? Mm-hmm. Na, or nasha, that creature that seduced oh, the, Eve. Yeah. Yeah. Or Nahash. I'm sorry, Nahash. Uh, Nahash. Yeah. Yeah, Nahash. I'm sorry, Nahash. Yeah. Well, you know what's what's kind of interesting is is not all of these glyphs actually function um, differently when they're in first or second position. Sometimes they function very similarly depending on how they affect the glyphs around them. Um, I have found many words that actually have almost the same or very, very similar meanings, even if you switch the glyphs around. Um, Nahash is a really interesting one because I look at the word Nahash. I had to do, I did a word study a while back on Nahush when it had to do with copper because I was going through colors and, and I got to metallics. And of course, Nahush is used for and is translated as copper but nahash is usually translated as serpent yeah um you have what's here's kind of interesting about the way that it looks is you start with the end now if you go back far enough and you start looking at paleo hebrew or obri that n a lot of people will say it's actually a, a snake in and of itself <laughs> or it, they will or someone might say it's a seed sperm something like that but what we should get out of but again, we're talking about something conceptual. We yeah, should get out oh, of it man. something even like a river because N is used in more river and water words than just about any other glyph. Okay, now it's interesting you should say that because Jeff Benner and these Jews who discuss these words say that letter looks like a shoot, like a shoot of wheat, you know, which has like a tip like sperm. But you're saying this is more talking about, well, I, I guess a uh, shoot could qualify as conceive. But, uh, yeah, and, and then there, there's the, uh, the, the word naga, which is uh, Hindu, but is also uh-huh. used in uh, uh, Hebrew as well, I believe. Yeah, so, yeah, so the word N, please continue, the word N looks like a what now? Uh, an S, you know, like a snake. It, 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 yeah, it, it actually... Actually, it, it seems to always come with this idea of um, flowing. It, it has an idea of flowing, just like a river flows. Okay. Um, and it's used, oftentimes you'll find it at the beginning of simple roots that have to do with action. In okay. fact, it turns those roots oftentimes into a type of action. Now, okay. I can't tell you what type of action yet. All I can tell you is that I have witnessed these patterns, and here's what I've witnessed it doing okay. now with the the h as i said the h oftentimes comes along with the idea of something repetitive mm-hmm. or it it uh, like a bracelet like a chain something okay. that is uh over and over um, okay and 
then like you sexual have intercourse. The <laughs> right? Could be. You yeah. have to shove at the end. Shove okay. t- typically has to do with something that is ground level. Um, okay. And it, you find it a lot in words that have to do with things that are growing. Things growing from the ground or things uh-huh. that come up from the ground. Like uh, a shoot. That sort yeah. of thing. Okay. Yeah, you yeah. find it in the word. And fire is a really good one because fire is a, a, uh, a sh, ash. And it's a very strong uplifting, an upward lifting, which fire it does exactly that. Yeah, it yes, heats it that air. And there's this massive up uplift in fire mm-hmm. so we can see that in the sha so when you put those three letters together now it it may be translated as serpent a lot but and it may work as serpent it could be like oreb where oreb does work for willow it does work for blanket um it does work for this mixed multitude well in the same way it could be true in with nahash mm-hmm. is in some way those three glyphs are working together and they are working in harmoniously in certain contexts where they're used as, as either serpent. They're used very harmoniously in context when they're used as copper. Mm-hmm. But they also appear in context where they might be something else. They might be alluding to something that's not particularly something that slithers around on the ground like we saw <laughs> right. in the book of Numbers. Yeah, And it might not necessarily be talking about something that's copper. It could be... T- it could be referring to something that's coppery. It could right. be referring to something that's like something that slithers around on the ground. It could right. be coppery. Yeah. You know? A, per, a person who acts words. and thinks like a snake. <laughs> right? Could be. Right. Well, one of the definitions I've seen, not in Strong's Concordance, but in, uh, I, I think it's the um, uh, the more sophisticated uh, uh, commentaries on the Bible, and they say it, it can mean something like shine like brass so that uh-huh. they, you can see your reflection in it, okay? Mm-hmm. So in, in yeah. those days, copper and brass were used as mirrors, okay? Mm-hmm. So any, any uh, indication there, that a re, the word a concept of reflection in there? Now, when... Here's something weird. Um, I've been developing a um, a biglyph roots t- table for quite a long time. Um, what I do is I'm able to extract those from word listings, uh, where I go through um, all of the occurrences of a word and I find which ones actually are based on simple two glyph roots. Okay. Um, what I have is I actually have two with with hush because. In the case of Nahash, we're going to have N as uh, sort of an accentuator to the, the main uh, root, which would be Hash. Now, there's, there's two instances that I've found where you could prove that Hash is used as a root. <clears throat> One instance is when it's used as a descriptive or an adjective, an adverb, meaning haste or to hastened. That's how it's typically used, haste or hastened. Mm. Um, and the other way they... Ch- translate it as hold peace or stilled but because of the context that it's often in it tends to have more of the idea of haste or hastened um, mm-hmm. but they'll use english wording that will give it almost the, the opposite meaning because they're not really factoring in for the reader that right. they're using words around it to translate that now the point of that was uh, that um the 
the fact that hush is oftentimes used for something that's fast, uh, uh-huh. hasty, or let's just say, I don't know, slippery. Right. Um, like a snake. Well, it's interesting. Um, In German, Hass means to hate. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's uh, interesting. Could, because yeah, who yeah. knows how we inherited that? Yeah, right, right. And so Brother Hebert brings up the word, uh, where is it now? It, uh, it scrolled up too fast. Uh, oh, yeah, the, the, the bronze serpent that uh, Moses held up. Was, was that mm-hmm. also a case of Nahash? Yeah, it was. Uh, well, I, I think it's called Nahush. Nahush. But same root. Same yeah, root. So the root yeah. is there. Yeah, okay. it absolutely is. And and Nah. You know what's it, strange? Yeah. Go ahead. And what's strange is when I had to do that word study, I, I had to look at copper because it's trans. It's used as copper uh, so often. Or we know that like brass and bronze, they're just uh, they're yeah. just um from. Copper. They're made from copper and zinc. They are made from copper, yes, and and zinc. Right. But the funny thing is about copper is the way that copper is is oftentimes best used is in a coil situation, or what it's most commonly used in is a coil situation, right? uh, Which (laughs) is actually where copper may have actually gotten its name from. Uh Was that it was used in this coil coil situation? So I don't have a problem with Nahash being. A literal serpent, when it's a literal serpent. Um, I do okay. think copper probably came from that use of Nahash. Okay. But, of course, you know, again, context is king. And when we see Nahash in Genesis 3, we can't honestly think we're looking at a a, a, a circumstance with a snake. Right. It's just, yeah. it, it doesn't doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah, it makes no sense. Yeah. So, but now, interesting, knocked. Auf Deutsch, nacht means naked. Okay, yeah. Uh, isn't there a, a connection between nachash and nakedness? Because uh, th- they found out, they realized they were naked after they were right. seduced. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And you know something that's just utterly bizarre is um, in Genesis three, it, it's uh, verse one. We'll read in English that the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. What is so strange, and, and this is, I guess, another good illustration of how uh, Obri can be used to test words and context, right. is that word that's used for subtle, it was more subtle than any beast of the field. They'll see that it's, uh, it's spelled O-R-U-M, Orum. Hmm. Um, what's really strange about it is this. So the word for nakedness, or it's actually the word for your skin itself, not Bashir. Bashar, Bashar is the flesh, okay. but the skin itself, like the covering, the root is actually or O-R. And mm. sometimes it's it's uh, stated as O-U-R, but commonly you'll see it as O-R. Right. Um, and now the U-M suffix is an odd, odd suffix. It's ones that it, it's a suffix that the Masoretes have actually cut out of our lexicon. Really? But it is it is a real suffix. It functions in some way. Um, similar to the YM suffix, the YM suffix we see all the time, and they do incorporate that. Um, but I would imagine that from what I've seen from it, that it's it its usage is not much different uh, different than the YM suffix, which is typically used to make a masculine noun plural. Okay, uh, right. I think it's actually a type of augmentative suffix. Okay, it's really weird though that you'll. 
see that um, if you found the the variants of nakedness throughout the Old Testament, you'll see that sometimes it's actually stated as O R U M. Mm-hmm. It's just the but most bizarre thing in the world that you'll actually see the description used about him as O R U M. Now, not because I believe that he was naked or more naked, but because nakedness refers to the skin. Right. Um, okay. The skin is actually this same exposed root skin is used okay. in the word for city. It's also used for the word city. Huh. Um, in a sense, a watershed, a type of uh, protective okay. layer. All right, gotcha. Um, the epidermis. In a sense, he was more skinned. <laughs> You're he right. He could be said to be more thick-skinned. Um, he could be more... And okay. As far as us using that translation of subtle, um, if you apply something like, a, you know, you think about skin as a protective layer or coat... Um, he was definitely not uh, not like other beasts of the field, we'll call them. Um, and in the sense that I think that what's being described there is that he was more thick-skinned, more shrewd than the others. Mm. Okay. Okay. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Or, or uh, knowing in the sense, in the wrong sense of knowing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, now, uh, okay, we have about 15 minutes left. There's another good word, because uh, to know, what are the Obri roots of the word to know? Now, that's be- an interesting one. Uh, do. Uh, that would be the simplest two-glyph root, is D-O or Dalit Ayin. Um, do actually comes along, along with the idea of, first, the D. Now, the the, the D or Dalit in Obri, especially the older D or Dalit, looks a, a lot like the Delta that we see in Greek, or our capital D. The thing mm-hmm. is, our capital D today has been softened. It's given this sort of curve to it. But it typically had a point to it, and it was very much like triangular. It looked like oh, okay. the tip of it yeah, looked like, like the Delta. Tip of a yeah, sphere. like the, the letter Delta. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And it would oftentimes have to do with piercing, um, it huh. would be directive either directive or piercing or both. And again, the like an arrow. O having a lot to do with altogether. So if somebody altogether pierces into something, they know it, it whether that's intellectually, whether okay. that's physically, dough. Okay. You have dough as an in intellectual knowledge to know something, to entirely uh, to understand. Um, yeah. enter it, to understand it, because to understand it, you have to enter it. Yeah. And so if you put that Y on the front, which gives you action, like masculine action, you have Yido. Okay. And that's why oftentimes Yido can be used for to know a woman, to have mm-hmm. knowledge of. Right. Yeah. Yes. Amen. <laughs> this, is, this is fascinating. So the, the glyphs uh, give you both these literal and figurative meanings is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's very interesting. Yeah. Okay, so, uh, okay, so uh, maybe we have time for one more. How about the word tree? I'm looking at Genesis three three, which is ets. Okay. Yeah. From its firmness. So that's made up. Yeah, that's made up of the uh, the glyphs uh, 
O or Ayin and uh, Tsa or Tsadi. Now, the, the, the interesting thing about it is a lot of these, they seem to uh, actually be visuals. Now, I said that, that all of these were conceptual, but sometimes they, they just seem so obvious. Now, tree or oats, is, it, it's used in a, a few different ways. It's, it's used for tree, but it's also used for counsel. Oh, really? Um, we can see, yeah, we can see oh. oats used, used quite often. For count, okay, because it says one of these trees will make you wise. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to okay. give counsel to you can ups, bad or, you counsel, know, <laughs> right? Yeah, you could give bad counsel, sure. Mm. But now that's the interesting thing because that seems to be one of those words that's kind of like what I explained with Orib. How it could be a willow, it could be a mixed multitude, it could be uh, uh-huh. a pledge or a yes. blanket. It seems like these. Uh, uh, these things inherit one from the other, and usually the abstract from the concrete. Mm-hmm. Uh, with tree, I think we see it directly in the glyphs. Um, you know, you start with an O, and the I in long enough ago was just a circle. Okay. And oftentimes that circles is used in words that are either up or all around mm-hmm. uh, that that are bearing the uh, the idea of being complete. Okay. Now that's uh, that's or the tzadi, uh, most oftentimes has to do with a thing that's growing or a branch, something moving. Now, if you put those two together, you can quite easily see how a tree or a plant is called an utz. What's really interesting, though, about that is how the word that's oftentimes translated as to give counsel to was inherited from that word. Okay. Hmm. Well, and tree, I don't know the answer to that. A tree of knowledge, tree of life, because it's all mm-hmm. always it's often used figuratively for genealogy. Okay, the tree of yeah. life, uh, the root of Jesse. Right, a lot of these tree words that people mm-hmm. assume just mean wood actually mean dis- descent, genealogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's a lot of inherited. That's that's something that I I have. I haven't had the time. I haven't had as much time to to spend on on, um, on some of the inherited meanings. I, I guess I should just say the idioms, because there are idioms. Um, that's a fact. Okay. I don't agree with all of the idioms that everybody has applied mm-hmm. uh, to Hebrew words, but there sure are plenty of them. Um, they just follow. I mean, I think a, I think an okay. idiom. The idea of an idiom itself is something that um, we can just see in almost any language because it seems to be just a natural outcropping of a, a really solid concrete thing to have an idiom. Right. Um, I, I guess sure. I was just posing Similar to, an interesting yeah. question, like an open question. Was, mm-hmm. was gosh, um, that would be interesting to do a word study and find out how council was inherited from something as concrete as tree. Right. Since they're both the same root and there's a lot of words like that uh-huh. oh there's lots of words like that so Absolutely. there's a, so in other words uh, there could be a very literal meaning depending on the context and it could be a very figurative even idiomatic meaning depending on the context as well okay because yes. I, i'm thinking of you know where um where nahash talks eve 
into uh, make <laughs> that there's a tree that that is desirable to make one wise. Uh, let me just read it. Genesis three six. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she mm-hmm. took the fruit thereof and did eat. Now, there is no literal tree whose fruit will make you wise. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not aware of one. Yeah, right. Neither am I. <laughs> right? Now, and I so- will preface that with, I will preface that with this. I don't want to deceive anyone. I... I haven't had the I haven't had the time to do a serious study on um, on the idea of what's going on in Genesis three. Okay, I, I, I've looked at it enough to where I don't buy the evangelical story. Um, right. Okay. Unfortunately, I'm I haven't been able to look into a lot of things. But so. what you're saying, well, yeah, absolutely. I don't, I don't know of a tree that does that. I don't know of a physical organic uh, thing that grows out of the ground that has bark or leaves or otherwise that can actually make someone wise. Yeah. I'm not aware of it. Yeah. It, 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 just like I'm not aware of a snake that actually could uh, could have a conversation with a woman right? without scaring her off. Right. Really. <laughs> if any animal starts talking to me, I'm heading in the other direction. Yeah, right. And I'm not yeah. Eve. Yeah, right. You know? Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the, the Smith that there was an apple... Right, that Eve bit into an apple, and there's it's more like that the snake bit into her. <laughs> right, and certainly when he was trying to seduce her verbally. Right, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's pretty plain that she mm-hmm. was conversing with a very intelligent creature that could not possibly have been a literal snake. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were yeah. talking about uh, what Yahweh's commands were to her and what the, what they should mean. I mean, no literal snake yeah. could possibly engage in such a conversation. No. Right? Right? No. Even if he was given the ability to talk, I mean, that's still... <laughs> yeah, that just, he would have had a brain. Deep. Crazy. <laughs> the brain, the yeah. brain of a fallen angel would be required, right? <laughs> you, would, right? you would need to be sentient, you, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, and have some kind of of mind but wherever you got it from i mean the snake doesn't have that kind of mind no um so you know i think it's it's really i don't understand exactly um yeah uh the the whole uh i guess the whole schema of the uh the symbolism used in in that it's specifically that chapter of genesis but i i really do think if if for anybody who takes a look at it and pays attention to it they should see that well i mean gosh uh, we could either believe that something is happening here that that the rest of the Bible doesn't support. Um, yeah. Okay. Some some pretty crazy things going on here, or we should look at it as the fact that we're being introduced to something that is is symbolic in a lot of ways. Right. Um. And what's the deeper meaning? Because. Yeah. There's a lot of passages in the Bible where there's a deeper meaning that's being used, and, and the Bible doesn't signal to you, hey, we're about to get into something that's deeper meaning. You have to stay on your t- toes. Yeah, right, right. And, and I know, uh, well, uh, many people in identity have taught this, that the Judeo churches are very poor with idioms. They don't look for idioms. They, uh, you know, they, they don't mm. know, know or care even if they exist. You know, like uh, when uh, when uh, Lot's wife was turned into a pillar of salt, 
So I checked this yeah. out. Uh, Middle East idioms say, well, that, that means frozen with fear. Uh, That's what they mean by that, frozen with fear, utter, utter terror, okay? So, but well, it you could know something. Be... What's the, that? The word that they translate as pillar, that's about the only place they ever translate that word as pillar. Every okay. other place they translate that, it's as a station, like as if a troop were stationed somewhere. Uh-huh, okay. Not a pillar. There's other words for pillar. Yeah. It's very interesting. Okay, so yeah. so she became stationary with fear <laughs> when she well, turned around and saw what might have looked like an atomic explosion. That would Could terrify be. just about everybody who saw it up close, right? She saw something pretty horrific. Yeah, it was it was horrific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, so paralyzed with fear it always suggested to me that's probably the best translation, rather mm -hmm. than a pillar of salt. Now, what about salt? In that expression. Well, that's funny. Yeah, that word, it's used so often with, uh, with things having to do with something perpetual. It, okay. it has the, uh, it, I think it's its root okay. as law. And uh, when we look at law, we can find law very often as something that is moist, fresh, or new. That's, that's, the, that's the common sort of simple uh, usage of it. But okay. um, it's kind of a funny thing uh, with M. Uh, oftentimes when you put M at the front of a a word, whether it's a verb or a noun, you tend to get something that is um, more of a, a, a product or something more specific. So um, it may well be a good translation, salt. I'm not sure. However, in that context, when we see that Emela, um, it really could be saying that um, she kind of perpetual, it, it could be something referring to something that is actually perpetual. Um, and station, and I'm I'm not in it right now. I know it's Genesis 19, but I haven't scrolled mm -hmm. to, to 19 to look at that verse so I could actually see the specific Hebrew word. But if you put those two words together, if she was perpetually stationed there, I don't know if that woman actually looked back, lost her mind, and would not continue on with Lot and their two daughters and could be. simply stayed there and died somehow. Yeah. I'm not sure. Could That could have happened. Paralyzed with fear. <laughs> Right, paralyzed mm -hmm. with fear. That's what the idiom means, you know, in in that yeah. uh, in the other languages, related languages. Okay, well, we mm -hmm. only have a couple minutes left. So you you said you had a website. You want to give that out so people can take a look at your work. I do, mm -hmm. I do. It's uh, it's obryproject info, and that is spelled O B R Y P R O J E K T dot I N F O. Okay. Um, right now, the, the biggest thing there for people to get is going to the resources page. Okay. Uh, a lot of the work that I've done, I post on the resources page. I have my various uh, uh, multimedia accounts and stuff that's yeah. there. And oftentimes when I find uh, websites and other uh, good resources, I post them there at the bottom of the page. So there's a pretty good amount of information there. I don't keep up as much on the website as I should because I spend most of my time in raw oh, research. Yeah. And, I'm sorry, everyone. Right, and your email address. <laughs> I don't. Before. Yeah, just, I'm, not, also, I'm, I'm just no, about out of time. Your email address. Yeah, I'm sorry. It, it, you can reach me, John at Obery Project. Same spelling, oh, okay. John at Obery Project dot info. Or J O N. Site, and there's it's, a link there. That's J O N, not J O H N. Correct. 
Yeah, it is. J-O-N. I'm sorry. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right, guys. So if you have any questions uh, f- uh, for Mr. John uh, about Hebrew, uh, Paleo-Hebrew, etc., he's the person to ask. Don't ask a rabbi. <laughs> right? <laughs> don't, don't, don't waste your time. Certainly not. All right, John. No. Thank you for this uh, very interesting uh, trip, you know, a, a roller coaster ride uh, about uh, uh, Hebrew letters and words, et cetera, et cetera. It was a whole lot of fun. Okay? Yes, it was. And I think thank it was you. educational, too. <laughs> okay, thank brother. You. Thank you Take very care. much. It was enjoyable. Yes. We'll talk to you again. You okay. Yeah, well, bless. Okay. Bye bye. You too. Bye bye. Obri Project. Thank you, Brother Aber. Okay. All right, folks. That's our show for today. And, uh, you know, t- tomorrow we're going to be uh, doing Bloodlines again. And I'll be, we'll be finishing our series on the, um, the, the uh, was it, uh, God's plan for Germany. We'll be finishing that up. Okay. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh. Pass the ammunition. See you all next time. No, dot info. Yes, dot info. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye.